Well, good morning, Mission Church. Again, good morning. Turn this down just a little bit. Thank you. Um, Welcome to Mission Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John. I serve Mission as the lead pastor, and I'm excited to be here. I was out for a few weeks. My family and I had the opportunity to spend some time together, um, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity that you guys uh, allowed me to to have. It was very beneficial. But I'm excited to be back. I've been looking forward to being with you this morning in this context, and especially as we continue our current sermon series. But mission, our vision and mission here at Mission Church is to partner with God to see His kingdom come here in Las Vegas as it is in heaven. And we do that as we love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. And as I said, we're in the midst of a study in the, the book of Psalms, um, which we'll be pausing in a couple weeks, as you heard earlier, to jump into Ephesians. But during the summer, we go through and work through Psalms in order. And so we'll be in the Psalms for quite a while, um, but we'll be pausing after next week. But this morning, if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. The Psalms were a prayer book for the people of Israel during their years in exile. And as you and I are also living in exile, awaiting Jesus' return, the book of Psalms serve us in the same way as a prayer book. Now, Psalm 32, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 32. It says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore... Let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My goal this morning is to help make sense of this text, both practically and relationally, especially regarding the happiness and the joy that can be found not only in the forgiveness of sin, but also in knowing that the burden of guilt and shame can be completely gone. Psalm 32, the heading says, is a mascal of David. In other words, this is an instruction written by David, and this instruction, it contains within it urgent advice from someone who learned the hard way. Tell me, have you ever learned something the hard way? For many of us, particular situations come to mind. For some of us, you might say, that's how I learn. But in case of Psalm 32, we are going to see when it comes to sinning against the Lord, learning the hard way is not the best way. And so what do you do when you sin? How can you be forgiven of your sin? 
And why? Why do we need forgiveness of sin? Now, before we answer these questions and dive into our text, let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll get started. God, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would soften our hearts, remove the calluses from our hearts, that we may understand who You are based upon who You say You are. Lord, we thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. We pray, Lord, that You would stir our affections away from the things of this world and ourselves and stir them for Jesus. I pray that You would equip us and encourage us to leave here this morning to live on mission and to lead others to You. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and beautiful before You. For You are my rock and my redeemer. We love You. We thank You. We give You all the glory. Jesus' name, amen. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the novelist who created the master detective Sherlock Holmes, is remembered by those close to him to be someone who enjoyed a practical joke at someone else's expense. And one of his most infamous pranks is recorded that he sent identical, identical telegrams to 12 of his closest friends. And these friends were powerful people all throughout the city. And the telegrams were brief and they were anonymous and they simply said this, All has been discovered. If I were you, I would leave town immediately. It said that within 24 hours, all 12 men packed up their belongings and they got out of town. In a room this size, that story may hit home, especially if you're currently running from a guilty conscience. If this is you, I'm glad you're here this morning because Psalm 32 offers freedom for the the convicted. It offers good news for the guilty. However, before David, the author of our text, gets to the good news, he has to lay before us the bad. You see, as hard as you try to forget your your sin or sweep your sin under the rug, you can try and run as far away as you can from God, but the truth is, you can't outrun God. He knows it all and there is nothing that you can keep hidden from Him. Now David, he knew this from experience. And as I said before, he learned this the hard way. In fact, we see this clearly in 2 Samuel chapter 11. There we find David in the prime of his life and at the height of his power as the king of Israel. He had just sent off his armies of Israel to to battle. They were off to war. And David, being secure in his military strength and military power, he decided to foolishly stay home and take it easy. And I say foolish because although he may have been physically secure... His spiritual weakness left him vulnerable to temptation. And one day, as he was relaxing at home, checking out the sights from his balcony at the temple or from from his palace, he saw a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. And rather than looking away or, or, or going inside, he chose to abuse his power and have this woman brought to his room. And ultimately, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was the wife of one of David's soldiers he had just sent off to war, Uriah. David's sin of adultery started his free fall from adultery to conspiracy to murder. And for more than a year, David attempted to sweep all his sins under a rug. He attempted to run and pretend that things did not happen. He lived in self-deception, thinking that he had gotten away from something. In other words, David ignored his sin. And he lived as a hypocrite, claiming to be 
God's man, claiming to be a man of God while lying about his sin. But David, you see, this text shows us that he eventually hit rock bottom when the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin. And David, well, he ended up being honest about his sin in 2 Samuel 12, 13. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And when there is recorded a, a simple confession, which is expressed more uh, detailed in Psalm 51, where David says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. See, Psalm 32 is the sequel to Psalm 51, whereas Psalm 51 records David's prayer of confession after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Psalm 32 is a celebration. It's a a prayer of thanksgiving to God for blessing him with the forgiveness of his sin and it records the joy that the forgiveness of sin brings. Ultimately, Psalm 32 is a declaration of good news for the one who deserved bad news. And David instructs us. He points us to the fact that even though there is nowhere that we can run and nowhere that we can hide from God, by God's sovereign grace, even in our sin, we can run to God and hide in God. Mission Church, God is ready and He is willing and He is able to forgive you this morning and to be your refuge and to be your guide. The story is told in Spain of a father's strained relation with his teenage son who had run away. He was determined to get his son back, but after all his efforts failed, he finally placed an ad in the local Madrid newspaper and the the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And it is said that the next day at noon, some 800 teenagers named Paco congregated in front of the newspaper office, all seeking the forgiveness and love from their father. You see, the world is full of people who need forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe you have a guilty conscience that troubles you to set things right with a family member or or a friend or a loved one. More importantly, maybe you have a guilty conscience that is troubling you and you need to set things right with God. I stand to tell you this morning that God loves you and no matter what you have done or where you have been, your sin can be forgiven. And David testifies to this truth in Psalm 32, and it points to the model of forgiveness which is most profoundly found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, to best understand our text, let's consider forgiveness and examine Psalm 32's uh, treatment of it through three movements. Number one, the blessing of forgiveness. Number two, the process of forgiveness. And number three, the result of forgiveness. The process of or the blessing, the process, and the result. So let's look now at movement number one. The blessing of forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 1. You doing okay? Okay. Our author writes, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Underline or make note of this word joyful. Some translations, your Bible may say happy or even blessed, which is the closest word to the original language, blessed. And the word stands out because we, we've seen this before in our psalm series particularly. In Psalm 1, we saw this. It begins with the same word. In fact, this is the first time in the book of Psalms that we see this used, blessed, since the first line of the book of Psalms. 
And there's a profound connection between Psalm 1 and Psalm 32. Consider Psalm 1 verse 1, which says, How happy or how blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Psalm 1 The blessing it records or the happiness in Psalm 1 points to someone who is consistently walking in God's way. This person, he never sins. This person lives their life in perfect obedience to God's good rule and reign, which if we're honest, none of us can do or have done. In fact, the tense of the Hebrew word in Psalm 1, the tense of all the verbs here, indicate that this man is never and has never been involved in anything tainted by evil. See, the man that Psalm 1 is pointing to is the perfect man, the man in in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Psalm 32, it's declaring a blessing for the person who, like you and like me, is far from perfect. See, this person in Psalm 1, Jesus, has never sinned, but Psalm 32 is talking to us who have sinned, and yet God forgives To emphasize the blessing of forgiveness, David repeats himself in verse 2 of Psalm 32. He says, how joyful or how happy or how blessed is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. By repeating himself here, David is emphasizing the joy that comes with God's forgiveness. The joy that is found in knowing that God is kind and that God is loving and God is forgiving and that God is for you. And let's be honest, everyone wants to be blessed. Everyone wants happiness. And David is saying, how happy and how blessed is the one who has been forgiven. Now the question is begging to be asked, why? Why does forgiveness of sin bring so much joy? Well, the answer is evident when a complete understanding of sin is acquired. The joy of forgiveness is so great because of how defeating and how horrible and how horrendous sin is. In fact, did you know that the Bible uses a half dozen words for sin? Each word carries with it its own distinct meaning and nuances. And in Psalm 32, David uses four of them. Look back at verse 1. Underline the word transgressions. Transgressions. This word, transgression, has to do with rebellion. See, God created us in His image to live on the earth as His representatives. It's similar to a dad who leaves his son in charge of the house while he's gone. The dad expects the son to care for the house, to keep it up, to ensure that the house is looked after. In a similar way, God expects us to take care of the earth and one another. But the problem is, is we have failed to obey Him. We don't obey Him, do we? The truth is, we're traitors. The Bible records that we have rebelled against God. We are like an American soldier who joins Al-Qaeda and fights against his country in Afghanistan. We defected to the enemy. We ruin our lives and the lives of others. We live in rebellion against God, and this rebellion, transgressions, this word that David is using is speaking to the fact that this error is not necessarily an error. It's not accidental rebellion. The transgression David refers to was no accidental sin. It wasn't simply a failure to do what needs to be done. Transgression is speaking of willful sin. A sin that is committed knowing full well that what you are doing is wrong. It's when you know the right thing to do, but you essentially say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can't tell me what I can't do. 
David says, I'm guilty of that. And the second word we see is the common word for sin, which is, wait for it, sin. And this word speaks to someone missing the mark. Imagine an archer who bends her bow to shoot at a target and falls completely short of the target and sticks into the grass. Or imagine a man who lines up his stance to hit the golf ball onto the green, but he hooks it off into the trees. This archer and golfer didn't hit what they were aiming at. They missed the mark, and that's the picture of sin. We try to follow Jesus, we do our best to live holy and righteous lives, but we still miss the mark. And David says, guess what, I'm guilty of that too. In verse 2, we see the third word David uses for sin, which is iniquity. Iniquity speaks to that which defiles or corrupts a person's character. It can also point to crookedness or perversion. Iniquity is that which is bent, is, is that which is twisted. You see, transgression and sin describes our sinful ways, and iniquity is speaking about our sinful nature. It's the inclinations, the propensity and the proclivity to our fallen nature that results in sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful actions, and David says, I'm guilty of all of that. Even worse, verse 2 indicates that David was also guilty of deceit. Remember, David spent a period of time attempting to hide his sin. He was lying to himself and lying to others and lying ultimately to God about his sin. I'm reminded of the verse that we meditated on earlier. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we, have, if we say we have... You might ask, well, how do we lie to ourselves? We know what we know. Well, has there ever been a moment of pride where you thought in a tense relational situation or conflict, I did not do anything wrong. This is someone else's fault. We can also lie to ourselves by thinking that God does not know or care about our sin because it happened such a long time ago. We can deceive ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. We might say, well, I'm not like Fred at work who cheats on his time clock, or I'm not like Susie across the street who dresses a bit provocatively. We can deceive ourselves by being moral persons. Look at I'm doing what is right. I'm doing what is good. And it makes up for the difference. We can deceive ourselves by focusing on externals. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date someone that do. I go to church. I give money. I volunteer in the nursery. We can deceive ourselves by thinking that Psalm 32 is for everyone else. But the blessing of forgiveness is recorded here for the one who does not lie to themselves about the reality of the sin that exists in your life. And let's be honest, we can try to ignore our sin, we can pretend it didn't happen, we can try to hide from God and run from God, but down deep we know that He knows We know that He sees. And hiding sin, friends, is like gluing wallpaper to a moldy wall. Eventually, that mold is going to eat right through the paper and it's going to make things worse. Truth is, David says, I've rebelled against God. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. I'm crooked. I'm perverse and deceitful and guilty before God. Friends, it seems as though David was the front-running candidate for God's judgment. Truth is, David is simply describing the human condition. He's describing you and he's describing me. And what David deserved is not at all what he received. See, his transgression was forgiven. 
The unbearable burden of guilt that he experienced for that period of time was lifted from his shoulders and and rolled away as a stone from a grave. His sins were covered with all its ugliness. It was covered and hidden under the divine atonement. And the Lord did not charge him with iniquity like a creditor. Think about a creditor who graciously writes off debt that you can never repay, calling off all of his collectors. David's sin in the same way, was removed from God's ledger and the spreadsheet was now empty. And so David sings, How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. This produced in him a sense of of joy that could not be matched. Now, it's extremely important to take notice in verse 2 that God did not charge David with iniquity. Underline or or make note of this. Does not charge. This phrase comes from the same accounting word that Moses uses in Genesis 15.6 to describe the righteousness of Abram. Who he acquired righteousness by faith. In fact, it says this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That word credited is the same word that we see in Psalm 32. In other words, righteousness was credited to Abram's account. You see, in God's accounting, he leaves sin off the ledger and he adds righteousness to the ledger. He not only removes the bad, but he adds the good. The Apostle Paul clarifies this even further in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 2. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Referring back to Genesis 15. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift. That's something that you earned, right? That's something that's owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works and then he goes to psalm 32 blessed are those who lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the person the lord will never charge with sin see by not counting sins against us god declares us to be righteous a righteousness that you and i have not earned or deserve but a righteousness that's found alone in christ jesus who lived a perfect sinless life Perfectly obedient to God. This righteousness is not earned. It's not deserved. It's not a reward for our good behavior, but it's a gift given by God to those who trust in Jesus' perfect life, His death and His resurrection. Friend, is this your testimony this morning? Have your transgressions been forgiven? Has your sin been covered? Has your iniquity been charged to the account of our sin-bearing substitute, Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the blessing of forgiveness? Which leads us to our second movement, number two, the process of forgiveness. The process of forgiveness. Look at verse 3. David here is remembering the reality of sin's bondage. And he says this, when I kept silent, David's recalling that time again, between the time in which he committed that sin with Bathsheba and all the sins that followed and in the time when he was confronted by Nathan. He describes the time he attempted to run and to hide and to sweep his sin under the rug. And he says, when I kept silent, 
See, David refused to be honest with God. He refused to be honest with himself. And he may have thought even that he got away with it. But despite the fact that he thought he got away with it, he was absolutely miserable. In fact, he says this, it was during that time where my bones became brittle from groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. In other words, this period of time affected David physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. He was tormented. David gives us perfect description of the misery of living with a guilty conscience. If you're a Christian, this describes maybe the time that you have felt when you would not confess your sins to God. Psychologically, David's bones became brittle. They became dust. He felt drained. His strength was sapped. He felt heavy, the heavy weight of God's hand upon his life. He felt burden of his guilt during the day, and when he would lay down to rest at night, he was restless. He could not find relief. David's fail, his failure to confess his sin led to a debilitating and draining weakness. He was emotionally distraught. Groaning all day long, his soul ached. He was experiencing agonizing depression. The excitement he had once experienced in life was gone. Understand, brothers and sisters, sin and guilt and shame can have an effect on your health. Physically, mentally, emotionally. Which speaks to the truth that if you don't deal with your guilt, your guilt will deal with you. Some in here, you need to take a moment and think about your life. Are there any sins that you're hiding in the dark corners of your heart? Have you yet to be fully honest with yourself and with God about your sins? Could it be possible? The loss of energy, depression and guilt and shame that you're experiencing is because God's hand is at work against you. If that's true, I have good news for you this morning. You can be set free. You can be released from the sin of oppression and bondage. In fact, if God's hand is heavy on your conscience, you need to know that He loves you and He's making you miserable for your own good. I think for most of us, we're so stubborn and sinful that God sometimes has to force us to turn to Him for healing and for forgiveness. If the Holy Spirit is making you miserable this morning because of your sins, That's a sign that God cares for you. That He loves you. The time to worry is not when God is heavy upon you, leading you in His kindness to forgiveness. The time to worry is when you sin and God no longer bothers you. See, just like a good parent, God disciplines those He loves for their own good. We see that in the book of Hebrews. Now, verse 5 is the pivot in our text. This is the most pivotal verse of this psalm, for it is here that we see and we experience the climactic turning point for David. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. David says, I was honest with God about my sin. I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Mission Church, God's forgiveness requires personal confession. 
Consider Proverbs 28, verse 13. It says, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Again, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful. Jesus is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean that, that Jesus is faithful and Jesus is righteous to forgive our sins? Well, it means that you don't have to wonder how God is going to respond to you when you come to Him and you're honest about your sins. There was a time when my son came to me and confessed that he did something wrong. He came right up to me, and he was honest. And I responded in the absolute worst way that any father could respond. I lost my cool. And how I responded in that moment set the precedent for for what he expected from me in the future. And the next time he did something wrong, what do you think he did? Yeah, he tried to hide it. You see, rather than being honest, he was afraid that his dad was going to fly off the handle. But God is not like us imperfect fathers. No, He's perfect in every way. And the Lord can be trusted. You can trust that He will forgive you when you confess your sin to Him. And that's what God did for David in our text in verse 5. It says here that David confessed his sin to God and God forgave him. In fact, there was no delay. God did not wait. There was no pause. There was no probationary period. God didn't need time to think it over. In fact, verse 5 says that as soon as David had come to his senses and determined to confess his sins to God, God says, I forgive you. And church, this is how God will embrace you. If you will, by God's grace, acknowledge, confess, and repent of your sin. The guilt of our sin is forgiven through Jesus. The blood of Jesus not only covers over your sin, but it completely covers over your guilt and shame. In God's accounting, our sin was placed on the ledger of Christ, and Christ's innocence was put on our ledger. On the cross, Jesus died for sinners and paid for the guilt of everyone who turns to Him. In the 14th century, Robert the Bruce of Scotland was leading his men into battle to gain independence from England. Near the end of his conflict, the the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. And so they put Bruce's own bloodhounds on his trail. And when the bloodhounds got close, Bruce could hear them howling. He could hear them baying. His attendant said, we're done for It's over. They're on your trail. They will reveal our hiding place. And Bruce replied, it's all right. Don't worry. And then he headed for a stream that followed in the forest. He plunged into the stream, waded a little bit upstream a short distance, and then he came out on the other side, on the other bank. And then he was in the depths of the forest. Within minutes, the hounds, tracing their master's step, came up to the bank. And they went no farther. The English soldiers urged them to go on, but the trail was broken. The stream had carried the scent away. A short time later, the crown rested on the head of Robert the Bruce. In the same way, the memory of our sins prodded by Satan, sins that you have been forgiven, can be like those howling dogs. But a stream flows red with the blood of God's own Son, and by grace, Through faith, we are safe. There is no sin hound that can touch us. The trail has been broken by the precious blood of Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, this offer of forgiveness is extended to everyone who would turn 
from their sin and turn to the Lord. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with shouts that are joyful. Shouts of deliverance. Underline and take note of this phrase, everyone who is faithful. This phrase speaks to the audience to whom David is addressing, which are believers. He's talking here to people who are following God. Godly people who have fallen into sin. See, David is teaching us what godly people do when they mess up. Which speaks to the truth that godliness or being a Christian is not about having an absence of sin. You see, we're not going to be without sin until we stand before Christ. And as you follow Jesus, you may not be sinless, but you should have the goal of sinning less, if that makes sense. But when we do mess up, and we will, what is our attitude towards sin? Godly people have the same attitude towards sin that God has. They hate it. They hate sin. And when you sin, you grieve over your sin. And like you, David knew the temptation to ignore his sin, to be silent about sin. Maybe as you sit here this morning, there's something that you're ashamed of. Maybe even angry at yourself over. And maybe like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you don't want to face God and admit the truth about your sin. If this is you, friend, call out to God this morning. You see, if you don't confess your sins now, verse 6 tells us, that you may not be able to call out to Him tomorrow. Sin is deceitful. And if you do not deal with it, it will harden your heart. If you hide your sin and refuse to confess your sin, you'll get to a point where you don't confess your sin anymore. You can't confess your sin anymore because your conscience will be calloused. And you will have an unbelieving heart. Hebrews chapter 3 says that you will fall away from God. Brothers and sisters, call out to God while you can. For He promises that He will be your refuge. He promises that He will protect you and hide you just like that song we sang, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. And when the floodwaters of guilt and shame begin to break and spill over the dam, you can be confident that they will not overtake you. The hand of God that was once heavy on your unrepentant heart is now the hand that will hide you from His own wrath. Tell me, is God your hiding place? Is He your preservation for trouble? Understand, because God is holy and just and righteous, all sin must be punished. In fact, Romans 6 says in verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, every sin will either be punished in hell or pardoned in Christ. You can trust in your own goodness or be a deserving victim of the floodwaters of God's holy wrath. Or you can run to the cross and find a hiding place in the divine nature, virgin birth, perfect life, atoning death, glorious resurrection, heavenly priesthood, and imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I heard a pastor once tell a story of a Sunday school teacher. And she was teaching her class of young children how the eyes of the Lord are in every place. 
And she asked a follow-up question to see if her children understood. And she asked, is, is there anything God cannot see? To her surprise, a little girl raises her hand. And the surprised teacher asks the little girl, do you know something that I don't? Do you know something that the all-seeing God cannot see? And the little girl replied, yes, ma'am. I know one thing God cannot see. God can't see my sin when it's covered by the blood of Jesus. That little girl had good theology. For God indeed counts as righteous all those who are covered by the blood of the righteous One who is our Advocate, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said it once like this, the fountain is inexhaustible. It never fails. No matter how much you draw from it, even if we all dip from it without stopping, it cannot be emptied, but it remains a perennial fount, an unfathomable well, an eternal fountain. Reminds me of one of my favorite hymns, the one that we're going to sing in just a moment after we're done here. It proclaims, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Now, this leads us to our third and final moment, and we're just about done. Thank you for the way you're listening. I did hear the recording in which Josh... uh, said I'll in earlier and everyone cheered and um, so I'll work on that I listened I heard you the result of forgiveness number three look at verse eight it's here where David describes the results and the blessings that follow when we confess our sin verse eight says I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you I will give counsel do not Be like a horse or mule without understanding that may be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. See, forgiveness of sin results in the Lord's guidance. Now, the sort of guidance that David is speaking of here, the guidance of the Lord that he's promising is not what college should I go to, who should I marry, whether or not I should take this job but rather the guidance that he's speaking of here specifically is how it is you and I are to live a godly life. The guidance here is how do you pursue a life that loves Jesus, lives like Jesus, and leads others to Jesus. You see, God wants you to understand His ways. And He wants you to walk in His ways. To pursue a life of holiness by your own will. Not to have to be drug around begrudgingly like a horse with a bit and bridle. That's what he's speaking here. He's saying, don't be a stubborn mule. In fact, when you confess your sin, turn to the Lord, and in His Word, He will give you guidance on how to pursue a life that looks like Christ. Forgiveness of sin also results in God's enduring love. Verse 10 says, Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Faithful love, the word that's used here in the text, is speaking of God's covenantal love. It's His commitment to His people. The Hebrew word there is hased. It's speaking of a covenantal relationship. It's a loyal love. It means that God does not change His mind about you, even if you change your mind about Him. In fact, Lamentations 3, Jeremiah sings, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, you can rip one layer of mercy off and a whole other layer of mercy is waiting and ready for you. 
God is like a father always hoping his prodigal son or daughter will return. God is always willing and ready to welcome you home. Trust Him to forgive you of your sin and His love will surround you and overwhelm you. He will guide you. He will protect you. And He will surround you with His enduring love. And finally, forgiveness of sin results in joy. What do you do when you're surrounded by mercy? What do you do when you're surrounded by the enduring love and guidance of the God who created the universe, what do you do? Well, verse 11 says, Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous one. Shout for joy, you upright in heart. Friends, I know that we're typically a quiet and reserved church, and that's okay. But this is a loud verse. This verse is loud. This morning, you have permission to be loud. You have permission to be excited. You have permission to shout with joy that God has forgiven you and rescued you from death. Let's get it. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I fail and when I fall and God forgives me, it makes me want to shout out, shout for joy, to stand and realize what God has done for me. And if you too know what God has done for you, David says, man, you're going to want to stand up and shout. David is essentially saying, if your heart is not touched, if your emotions are not involved, do you know that you have been forgiven? Mission Church, God is so good to us. He knows everything about you, yet He still invites you to be with Him and to forgive you. You see, he complete, His complete, hear this, His complete knowledge of you means complete forgiveness. Confess your sins to Him today. Trust in Him today. Rest in Him today and rejoice. Mission Church, God is good. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love and Your forgiveness that You so graciously offer to us. Lord, there is nothing that we can do. We can't be good enough, smart enough, religious enough. Um, We can't do anything to to bridge the gap that has been created due to sin. But Lord, You're so loving and so kind that You bridged the gap for us. Son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, not just for us, but instead of us, and rose from the grave, And right now, Jesus, You're ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. And we thank You for the invitation that You've given us to be with You and to live with the burden removed. Lord, we can leave this morning freed from guilt and shame. And we thank You for that great gift that You've given us. As we fellowship around the Lord's table, would You remind us of what You've done and what You're doing what we are looking forward to when you return. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.